I'm gonna trade my earthly home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, robe and crown. The weather there is always fair, there is sunshine day and night. No cold and no rain will fall there, for the sun shines ever bright. I'll need no heavy garments, I'll just wrap my robe around. When I receive my mansion, mansion, robe and crown, mansion. Good afternoon. No, just kidding. It's morning. Good morning. It is Saturday, March 3rd, 2018, uh, and it is Saturday. I hope you're having a great week, or hope you had a great week, and I hope you're having a good start to your weekend. Uh, and hopefully you got to sleep in a little bit. If not, uh, hopefully you have good plans for today. Um, I also hope that you have good plans for tomorrow, because tomorrow we'll be gathering together here at the Loveland Heights Church of Christ at 10 a.m. Uh, for Bible classes for all ages and 11 a.m. for worship just after Bible classes. I hope you can join us uh, for that time of worship, time of prayer and praise and fellowship, and of course as we gather together to uh, celebrate uh, and memorialize the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, and uh, proclaim his death until he comes. Today, uh, as we wrap up our reading for this week, uh, this week we read through Mark chapters 8 through 11 so far, and today we're wrapping it up with Mark chapter 12, and some very important teachings that Jesus gives us and talks about the greatest command, uh, and if you are looking at the, uh, the post text of this, uh, this uh, video, uh, talking about a top button lifestyle. Uh, interesting thing that I, that I read that I'm going to share uh, with you all regarding a top button lifestyle and, and how Jesus' commandments fit into that. Um, so we'll get to that in a second. But for now, let's go ahead and jump in and start in verse 1 of Mark chapter 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them the, uh, some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they killed him. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him, or he... Uh, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they, being the Pharisees, were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So what is Jesus talking about in this parable? Now hopefully, if you know the full story of Jesus and how uh, Jesus' life will ultimately end in uh, a few days' time from when this is preached, um, you know that this is talking about him and talking about God and the prophets. God, of course, is the owner of the vineyard, 
the vineyard being Israel, uh, and those um, servants that were sent to, to get the workers to do what they're supposed to do, those were the prophets. Um, prophets that were beaten, that were, some were killed, um, and then the son, the heir, is sent to get things right. They will respect my son. And instead they said they're going to kill him. And that's exactly what was done. And of course this parable, uh, the people perceived that they were talking about them. And the, uh, God was going to come back and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to, to the others. And, and you see, when we think about this and, and remember that Israel is the vineyard, he's saying that the covenant is going to be destroyed. It's going to be replaced by a new one. The vineyard is going to be given to others. So only those who accept Jesus and come to Jesus is on Jesus' terms, that's who belongs to the vineyard. Because right now when Jesus says this, the vineyard is Israel. The vineyard belongs to Israel. The kingdom, the, you know, God's people is Israel. But once Christ dies... God creates a new covenant, a covenant that was made in Christ's blood. And that's where the vineyard belongs to, and it goes to others, not just the Israelites. It's available to them. They have access to enter into the vineyard as so long as they come on Jesus' terms. But it's also available for the Gentiles as well. Verse 13, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. I love this teaching of Jesus, and I think sometimes it's kind of taken out of context and, and you know used and twisted in different ways. But I think the very simple and, and plain teaching that Jesus provides here um, is that money is earthly worldly has no value in heaven has no value to god so give to the world what is the world's and that's money and possessions and all of that but give to god the things that are god's that's us that's me that's my heart those are the things that go to god and you see what the jews are trying to do here or i'm sorry what the what the pharisees are trying to do here the pharisees and the herodians you notice it says to trap him in his talk they know that if Jesus speaks ill against Caesar, then they can go to the Romans and say, this guy's speaking out against Caesar and trying to stir up a rebellion. And if they do that, then Rome will kill, kill Jesus, and boom, problem's taken care of. All right, But Jesus, of course, sees right through their hypocrisy um, and, and gives this, this teaching. Taxes are taxes. You know, it's part of life. I think there's a saying, there's nothing certain in this world but death and taxes. You know, that's taxes are going to happen. It's part of living in a society. It's part of, you know, having a government over you pretty much. Uh, and, you know, Jesus says, 
I don't care about money. You shouldn't care about money. You need to be caring about your relationship with God. Of course, money is essential to be living and thriving in society, but it's not the most important thing. And we're going to talk about what that most important thing is here in a second. Verse 18, And Sadducees came to him. So we have Pharisees and Herodians, and we have Sadducees. So there's a difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're two basically different political parties, if you will, and the Herodians is another one. Um, the Sadducees um, were a, a um, they were more of a an emotional sect, I guess. Uh, the Pharisees were more of the legal this, 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 and this, um, and the Sadducees um, were were different from that. Um, they were so sad, you see. There was supposed to be a rim shot, but my drummer's out of town. Um, so, anyways, the uh, you know the Sadducees have this belief, and, and they hold true to this belief that uh, there is no ever physical resurrection of the body. It's impossible, um, and so that's what they're talking about here. Um, so they uh, they came to him who say that excuse me, that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, Whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Alright, so, I think I misspoke earlier. The Sadducees are very word-driven. The Pharisees were very tradition-driven. There's a big difference there. Um, so, the question that they're asking here, it re regards to Levitical law about a man and, and, and uh, a wife. If the man dies not bearing any children, then the brother is to take her as his wife um, so that children can be provided in the, in their line, in their lineage, basically. Um, but, of course, in this situation, whether hypothetical or not, they want an answer here. So whose wife is she going to be in heaven? Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So Jesus addresses their issues with heaven. And that's really the heart of all of this issue that the Sadducees have because um, they they don't believe in the physical resurrection. They don't believe that there's there's going to be life. Uh, and, and, God, and Jesus says here that God is not a God of the dead. He is a God of the living. Okay? And so there is a physical resurrection. He says, you are wrong about your beliefs on the resurrection. And because of your ignorance in terms of the resurrection, you also don't understand about marriage in heaven. He says, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. You know, I think some people have looked at this verse and said, well, this means that I'm not going to have my wife in heaven. That's not what this says. 
We're going to have our spouses in heaven if they obey the gospel according to the Bible and and, and they and God judges them righteous to, to enter heaven. And if they're there with us, they're going to be with us, but the relationship's going to be different. There's more that I could say about that in terms of sexual relationship with a wife and, and all of that, but the heart of the relationship in a marriage is friendship. And that that's not going to go away. If if a man and wife go to heaven together, then they'll see each other. They'll they'll know each other. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully there's there's some knowledge there. Uh, and uh, and you know they're going to be in heaven. There's nothing more that we need than to be there and to glorify God and to be in God's presence and and enjoy eternity with Him. How do we get there? Well, there's a lot of things that, that have to happen, of course, for us to get there. But Jesus teaches us here, starting in verse 28, about what's most important. What's the most important commandment? One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Isn't that interesting? Jesus gives this guy the answer, and the scribe's like, Yeah, you're right. And Jesus is like, You're not far away. You've almost got it, man. You've almost got it. But he's not all the way there yet. There's still more to come. Um... We'll come back to this and talk about that top-button lifestyle here in a second. Let's finish up the chapter and we'll come back. Verse 35, And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So, Previously in Mark, we've heard people refer to Jesus as Son of David. And the phraseology, I guess, or the, the, the prophecy that, that, that the Messiah would be a son of David is meaning that he would be a descendant of David, not that David was actually his father. That's important. Um, because it is not David, of course, that is his father, but God. Um, and so that is why he spells this out. David calls the Messiah Lord and therefore cannot be his son. In um, monarchy, or not really monarchy, but in, in, in the governmental system that they had, wouldn't happen. In the physical realm, can't happen. In the spiritual realm, not happening. So, the whole point of this is that God is the Father. 
Verse 38, And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour a widow's houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive their greater condemnation. The whole point of this teaching here, very plainly, it's not about your status. It's not about who you are. It's about who you love. It's about who you are in Christ, not who you are in the world. Um, because even though these people who, who fancy themselves up, um, have the best seats in the house, do all these great things, grandiose things to be noticed, doesn't matter if the heart's not there. It goes back to what we just talked about. They're not loving God. They're not loving their neighbor. doesn't matter. Verse 41, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. You know, we're taught in the in the New Testament, and we'll get there eventually, that uh, when we give, we are to give according to what we have prospered. And from what we can tell, the rich people were doing that. They were giving large sums of money as they had prospered. But this poor widow went above and beyond. She gave everything that she had. And really when it comes down to it, this is not really a teaching about money. This is a teaching about giving of oneself. She said all she had to live on. You know, we need to be giving our lives to Christ. All of it. We, we don't just give a piece of it. We don't say, alright God, you can have... Uh, you can have Sundays for a couple of hours, but then football is on... Uh, and then maybe if I'm feeling up to it, you can have an extra hour in the evening. And if I'm feeling like it, you can have an hour on Wednesday. But, uh, you know, that's all you get during the week. God requires us all the time. If we desire him all the time, then we shouldn't be giving any less of ourselves to him. I'm not saying we have to be in church and at worship and, 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 and reading our Bible 24-7, seven days, a, that's what 24-7 means, Derek. 24-7, our lives are to be given to God wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, because that's what God desires. He desires our lives. We talked about that a, a couple days ago, I think. Now let's talk about the greatest commandment and that top uh, that top button lifestyle. So I'm going to read uh, a section of uh, this uh, devotional that I've been reading through here. Um, it's called His Word, uh, and this is written by uh, who wrote this? Give credit, Chris McCurley. Guys who wear button-up shirts know the struggle that comes with being in a hurry and trying to line all of the buttons up and getting 
than push through the proper slot. On more than one occasion, I have worked my way down from top to bottom, pushing each button through the buttonhole, only to reach the end to discover the buttons were misaligned. I've done that. I think anybody who's ever buttoned a shirt in their life has probably done this at one time or another. I said I had slipped the top button through the wrong slot, and well, you can guess what happened. If you get the top button right, every other button falls into place. What is true in a fashion sense is even truer in a spiritual sense if we place God in the proper place in our lives. Everything else falls into place. We might call this a top button lifestyle. You get God right, you get everything else right. But this does not mean, of course, that your life will be one endless episode of colossal bliss. However, even the misalignments in life are easier to bear with God on your side. In Mark 12:28, a scribe asked Jesus which commandment is the most important of all. Jesus responds by saying, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Without further prompting, Jesus continues. He says, The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That's verse 31. This is the essence of Christianity, Chris writes. Love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments should be the core of our existence. They are the top two buttons. When we fit them in the proper slots, everything else aligns appropriately. If a devotion to God comes first, loving our neighbor will naturally follow. There's the top button, loving God, and the second button, loving your neighbor. The other buttons like family, friends, work, etc., those will fall into the proper order as well. Putting God in his place is important. Put others in their proper place. Make loving God and loving others your top priority. And that's, again, that speaks to exactly what he's talking about in The Poor Widow. It's the top button. She put God first. She, she showed that through her giving. So... Where are your buttons lined up today? Where are your buttons lined up in general? Do you have that top button that's supposed to be God buttoned like four or five holes down? That's not going to look very good. <laughs> not going to work very well. So consider that. I think it's a great analogy and I think it's something to definitely think about as Christians to consider where our hearts are. Uh, and and uh, whether or not we have the proper proper priorities in our life. God is supposed to be number one. Loving others is supposed to be number two. Um, and everything else should fall right in place. I hope this week has been uh, an encouragement to you. The studies that we've gone through, if you need to catch up, you can do so on our Facebook page. You can also go to our website right here, loveland.church, and you can find out all the information you need about our church right there on our website. You can also go back and listen to some previous lessons that we've gone through in this series and going through the New Testament together in 2018. You can go to the, the uh, Daily Bible Study page and check that out. We also have previous sermons on there as well. And if you scroll down the page on both of those, you can also subscribe to the podcast versions uh, on your mobile device and have them delivered as soon as they get up on the website. So uh, if you have any questions, though, about this study, you can leave those comments in the in the comments section below. You can also message us privately here or email us at info at 
Church. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend, and hopefully you can join us tomorrow as we gather together, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, for a time of worship, a time of Bible study, and a time of praise and prayer. Um, our lesson topic for tomorrow uh, is going to be um, a good one. It is going to be, uh, I, I worked on it um, last night, and it is from uh, Mark chapter, um, oh my goodness, drawn a blank, Mark chapter 10. Thank you, self. Um, and the uh, the topic that we're going to be looking at is being served by greatness. Um, and not just being served by greatness, but how we can apply that to our lives and exemplify that service that great people have uh, presented to us. Um, so I hope you can join us for that. Again, Bible classes start at 10 a.m. with uh, worship starting at 11. I uh, hope to see you tomorrow. Have a great and blessed rest of your day. I'm going to trade my earthly home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears, no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, robe and crown. The weather there is always fair, there is sunshine day and night. No cold and no rain will fall there, for the sun shines ever bright. I'll need no heavy garments, I'll just wrap my robe around when I receive my mansion, mansion, robe, robe and crown.